0: Hey, you might uh, you might have noticed in your bulletin that in a couple of weeks we 're going to have a guy by the name of Peter Hoffman here, and he is a missionary serving in Tunisia in a Muslim nation and um, so as part of that he 's going to be uh, sharing that Saturday morning a, a little seminar on um, how to share Jesus with your Muslim friend if you 've wondered how do i how do I do this you know every one of us. Probably without, I bet every one of us knows someone who is a Muslim, and uh, how do I how do I share Jesus with that person? Well, this guy this guy he does it every day, and he's going to be with us for several days, meeting with our different life groups and such, men's breakfast. But thought that Saturday morning, just for two hours, a very very specific little seminar, how to share Jesus with my Muslim friends. And so that's uh, something to look forward to. Um, this, so this weekend, our theme for the Holy Spirit weekend has been revival. And I just thought in keeping with that theme, I would bring a message just to encourage you with that. And I just have two little bits of encouragement, and that's it. And then we can go sledding. So just two little pieces found from the life of Hezekiah, in, uh, so if you would please turn in your Bibles, Second Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to actually look at Second Chronicles 29, 30, and the very beginning of 31. Don't worry, we're not going to read them all, but that's where this message is drawn from. So it would be helpful if you have your Bible open to that. Um, so revival is a theme that's in the Bible. It's not just a unique thing, and I think it's important for us to understand that through the course of history, God has brought various revivals to his people, and it seems to be something that's needed. I mean, I I don't know what really the purpose or the answer would be or the reason why, except to say that I guess life gets in the way sometimes, and we just need a kickstart once in a while, you know? And so, God, you and I are not unique in that way. Uh, that's, maybe that's a, the way humans operate. That's the way we're wired, perhaps. And so, over the years, you can see it through Scripture, there were numerous, very key revivals that took place in the course of their history. And uh, one of them was um, led by this guy named Hezekiah. And while you're looking, well, you're probably already there, but let me give you some just quick history so we have context, because that's very important with these guys. So King Hezekiah, he's a king in Judah, okay, ruling in the city of Jerusalem. That was their capital city. No, that's important because what you need to know is that there, when Hezekiah was the king, Israel was a split nation. Remember, Moses brought them out of Egypt, right? And when they came out of Egypt with Moses, they weren't really a nation. They were just, they were 12 tribes, very loosely connected by their relationship to Abraham and, and, you know, Jacob 400 years prior to that. But that's it. And ragtag bunch, they had been slaves for 400 years. And Moses had the really tough job of forming this bunch into a nation, but that took hundreds of years and then finally after literally hundreds of years after Moses this people the people of God they they actually became a nation a a legit nation with with a land and borders and a government and taxes and the whole nine yards they became a legit nation and for the first three kings King Saul was their first King King David was their second king we know King David he was the David and Goliath David and and he and then his son Solomon was the third king and under Solomon the nation of Israel reached its zenith Jews to this day still go back to the days of King Solomon and say that was the glory days that was the bet the times were best back then after Solomon died There was a civil war, and the nation became split and was not reunited ever. And so for a bulk of the history that we are familiar with in the Bible, a bulk of it, you're not looking at one nation of Israel, you're looking at two. You have the northern kingdom, they retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom, they took on the name Judah. Another thing you need to understand is the nation of Israel was never good. From the moment the Civil War happened and they split, the nation of Israel did not have any good kings. Not one. They went from bad to bad to worse until finally God wiped them out. The southern kingdom of Judah, they had some good kings, some bad kings. They had their ups and their downs. And God's Blessing was on them when things were good, and then things were bad, and wasn't so good. Hezekiah is a good king. He's one of the good guys in their history, okay? And Hezekiah is king. What happens shortly before Hezekiah takes the throne is the, is the empire of Assyria came in from the northeast there, and they basically wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. So imagine this. You're Judah. Judah was not a big country. They were, I, I don't even know what the landmass would be, but I, the smaller, like the, think of the southern half of New Jersey. I mean, it's a very small geographical place, right? This behemoth, the Assyrian Empire, comes in and wipes out the northern tribes in Israel they're decimated, and now they're breathing down the necks of Judah. And in fact, there were, there were, there were uh, villages and towns that were along the border between the northern and the southern kingdoms, right? Those villages and towns got wiped out. So Judah even, I mean, and now Assyria is marching on its way to Jerusalem, the capital city, and can you, can you get a feel for the time they're in? Little tense, little tense, to say the least. And Hezekiah is the king, and he comes to power. Now Hezekiah's dad was King Ahaz, and he was bad. In fact, it's a miracle Hezekiah survived his father. Because Ahaz, the Bible tells us, sacrificed numbers of his sons in the fire, it says, He worshipped this, he worshipped the Baals, he worshipped in particular this one vile god named Chemosh that demanded human sacrifice, and so King Ahaz, I mean, hey son, let's go to church. Only one of us is coming back, right? I mean, that's not a good deal to be Ahaz's son. And yet, somehow Hezekiah survived that, right? And then his dad dies, and now Hezekiah's the king. Are you getting the setting? Okay. Very important. I love the setting. Uh, It means a lot when you're trying to understand Scripture. That brings us to 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1. Hezekiah is 25 years old when he became king. He was a young guy, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now David, of course, was not his actual biological father, but he's a descendant of David. You get that? That's what that means. So David is one of his ancestors, and he's in the line of David. That's what that means. In the first month of the first year of his reign, the first month of the first year of his reign, So, he doesn't waste any time. Look what he does. He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and he said, hey, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook them. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. You know, it's, um, I find that when it comes to my parents, people tend to go in one of two extremes. The one extreme is everything, you know, it's all my parents' fault. I go on Oprah and I talk about how bad my parents were and everything's their fault. The other extreme is I protect my parents. Oh, my parents were wonderful. They were perfect. They were absolute idiots. But they were perfect. They were great. You know, they were just wonderful. My dad was the best one ever, right? You realize neither one of those is true, right? And, 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 it, and, it, takes, and it takes integrity and some honesty. to, to it, It's hard to do what Hezekiah did here, to say, guys, our parents messed up. They messed up big time. But just because my parents messed up doesn't mean I have to mess up, right? That's what he says, in a sense. Because our parents were unfaithful. They shut the doors of the portico. They put out the lamps. They didn't burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He's made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and wives are in captivity. So Hezekiah is putting the pieces together. Why is is the Assyrian Empire wiping out Israel and why are they threatening us? Oh, we have been unfaithful to God. You know, God is amazing because he'll use really anything to bring us to himself, won't he? You know, I mean, you say, God, why did I have to go through that tough time? I mean, no, I guess you don't have to go through the tough time, but sometimes we go through tough times, and that's, what's, that's the wake-up call. Have you ever gotten a wake-up call, <laughs> right? And Hezekiah is saying, ooh, this is our wake-up call, friends. We, are, we better get things right. And so he leads them. Look at verse 10. Oh, I love verse 10. Now, I intend... To make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, our God. You know, it's funny, I I was studying this this before today, I've been working on this all week. We, we did that yesterday as a church, didn't we? We made a covenant before the Lord our God. That as for us, as for this house, we're going to serve the Lord. We, God's going to be God. We're, we're done. We're out of the driver's seat. He's now in charge. It's his church, not ours. So we did yesterday what Hezekiah did. I think it's kind of cool. So they get to work, you know, and they start cleaning up the temple. And you come to verse 18, verse 18. Then they went to King Hezekiah, and they reported, We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of the burnt offering with all its utensils and the table. We've consecrated. We have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz, your dad, removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. And they're now in front of the Lord's altar. So they they cleaned house, and they cleaned it pretty quickly. You go to verse 35 and 36. 36. So they did, these, they did a special service, a dedication service to their new temple. There were burnt offerings in abundance together with the fat of the fellowship offerings and the drink offerings that accompanied the burnt offerings. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. You get the sense. Things are on the up and up for Hezekiah and the people, aren't they? We've just cleansed our temple. Ah, oh, that felt great. We just had our dedication service. That was awesome. And now we're moving on. And this is exciting days for Hezekiah and his people. But there's something missing. There's something in Hezekiah's heart. He says, we've been missing something. Now that our temple's all clean, there's something else we've got to do the Passover. We've got to celebrate the Passover. Now, for you and me, the Passover is I don't even know, do any of you even follow it on the calendar? Do you know when it is? I know I don't. I mean, unless it pops up somehow and surprises me. I'm not aware of the Passover. But you don't feel that way about Christmas, do you? You know December 25th is on its way. Christmas is probably one of our most special holidays, is it not? We love Christmas. It's so meaningful, so, so special to us in so many ways, right? Passover was that to the Jews, still is, one of their most special holidays. And they had not celebrated it as a nation. It was like his dad basically canceled Christmas, is kind of what he did to his people. He canceled Passover, nationally speaking. Yeah, we're not doing it. Can you imagine that? What would happen if we had a president that, like, canceled Christmas? You would still have Christmas, wouldn't you? There were, I know I would. I'm Yuletide boy for a reason, man. I'm not letting any law stop me from celebrating Christmas. But these guys, so there were a few families that celebrated Passover, but as a nation, they didn't celebrate Passover. And so Hezekiah, here's what happens, verse, chapter 30, verse 1. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah, And also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. Passover took some planning, and they just weren't prepared. But they really wanted to do it, really bad. So they decided, verse 5, they decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel. From Beersheba, which is the southernmost city, to Dan, which was the furthest, the northernmost, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read. So you see what happens? Hezekiah says, we're going to do this, people. And he sends out a letter to the whole kingdom. And here's what the letter reads. People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. That he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror, as you see. Don't, don't be stiff-necked, as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, so that His fierce anger will turn away from you. if you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. for the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face fr- he, will, yeah, he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. it's an honest letter, isn't it? He's not sugarcoating it. Friends, do you see this? We've, we've, we have been wrong, Hezekiah is saying, right? We, we've gotten this wrong, friends. Our, our parents got it wrong, we got it wrong, but, but we're changing that. Let's, let's return to God, let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to God, right? That's kind of the heart of this letter, and he says, if we do, I know that God will take us back. Hezekiah knows God doesn't he? He will not turn his face from you if you return to him He's like God God, he knows it if you repent if you come back God will take you back That's his message what a great letter kind of a tough letter probably to read But an important truthful necessary letter nonetheless right so they go out They've made the plans. Passover's ready. They're going to get it ready in Jerusalem. Temple's all clean. We're going to have this party. Got the invites sent out to the whole nation. Verse 10. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But people scorned and ridiculed them. That's a bummer. Nevertheless, Some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. Verse 13, A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, of the unleavened bread, in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem, cleared away the incense altars, threw them into the Kidron Valley, The Kidron Valley was the uh, garbage dump of Jerusalem. It was kind of just outside the city walls. And so that's where they threw all of the nasty stuff from their pagan past, got rid of it, chucked it in the garbage dump. They slaughtered the Passover lamb and they start celebrating the Passover. The priests, I'm in verse 15, the priests and Levites were ashamed And they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as described in the law of Moses, the man of God. So you see the priests and the Levites, they're following Hezekiah's lead, aren't they? They are repenting. They're saying, oh, fellow priests, we've been misleading these people. The the pastors are getting it right, in a sense. They're they're saying, oh, we've got to get back with God. So they do, and uh, verse 17, Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written but Hezekiah prayed for them I like this part Hezekiah prayed for them saying may the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God the Lord the God of their ancestors even even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary and the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people I love that. Isn't that cool? You, you know why, right? You get that? Or do I need to write these guys? You know, they're just coming back to God, right? And mm, they've got nastiness. <laughs> they've got junk. They've got stuff that's not great. And they're not, they're not totally cleaned up, you know? They're just not. But yet they're seeking God. They want God. And Hezekiah prays for them. I love Hezekiah's prayer. Oh, God, okay, so maybe they're not exactly doing it the way that you'd want them to do it. But, God, they're seeking after you. So would you pardon them? And then I love it. Verse 20, the Lord heard Hezekiah. He answered his prayer. Man. I mean, you know, here's what that says to me. You know, yes, we should pursue doing things God's way. Absolutely. We 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 want to to the best of our abilities, true? Absolutely. But I'm so thankful for grace. <laughs> I'm so thankful that I don't have to sweat it that if I somehow overlook a detail that somehow, you know, fire's going to fall from heaven and fry me. Right? Isn't that great? That's good news. That is good news, friends. We just simply take our hearts and we pursue God with everything we have and we let him sort out the details and we do the best we can, but come on, I'm not going to let perfect stand in the way of doing it good. You know what I mean? I'm going to go after God with everything I've got and God will sort out the details. Verse 21, the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing. While the Levites praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. I think it's neat. The Levites hadn't done this in years. And Hezekiah's like, good job, you guys. Good job, you guys. Way to go. Way to go, Mortimer. Good job. Way to go, Hezekiah. Way to go, Abraham. Good job. Good job. He's He's doing a bud. He's right. He's encouraging them all. He's like, hey, excellent, you guys, excellent. That's what he's doing. And they're all just, okay, yeah, let's keep doing it. They're, I mean, it is a, I, it, this is a happy passage of the Bible, isn't it? It's happy. Anyway, love it. The whole assembly then agreed, verse 23, they agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. <laughs> so we had a great week. Let's do it again. So they do it for another whole week. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats, and man, they're just having the time of their lives. Look at verse 26. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. That tells you how long it had been, a very long time. 100, 150 years, long, long time. And these guys are celebrating it, having the time of their lives, just enjoying it, reveling in God's presence, singing, encouraging each other, just having the time of their lives. How can you not when you're in God's presence, right? Mm. And the Levites, the chapter ends, the priests and Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven his holy dwelling place wow 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 and then chapter 31 look what happens now how do you know that this was a really good time and not just a not just a nice idea how do you know that this was for real for real well chapter 31 verse 1 When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places in the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. So you know how you know that was from God? They repented. They got rid of their false gods. They made some changes. They shut down the brothels. They shut down the bars. They shut down the strip clubs. They shut them all down. They're like, we are a nation after God. And they start knocking down the altars to their false gods, and they give everything they've got to the one true God. They repented fully. See that? So I just have two little pieces of encouragement to us from this passage, and that's it. Just two. First is this. You notice... Not everybody was thrilled about their revival. Remember that? The, some of those people mocked and ridiculed the mailmen who were delivering the invitation. Friends, you, you can't expect everybody to be thrilled about your revival. You really can't. But don't let that stop you from pursuing God with all of your strength. Just because somebody disagrees with it or somebody, you know, isn't into, it, isn't, isn't into it doesn't mean, don't let that stop you. Go after God. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Not on somebody else. On Jesus. You go after him. Everything you got. Some people will join you and they'll have a party with you. And other people will mock you and ridicule you, and that's the way that it's going to work. So assume that, and just keep your eyes on Jesus. First encouragement. Second encouragement is this. How do you know if what you're experiencing is from God? Well, you look at the fruit. These guys left their little revival meeting there. And they started knocking down their altars to false gods. They, they, got it. they, they made changes in their lives. And, and friends, these are serious changes. You, you, uh, you understand how, how integral uh, the worship of false gods was to their lives. I mean, some of these guys probably lost their livelihoods. You understand, right? I mean, they were, some of these guys were making money off of these false gods. I mean, these were serious changes that they made in their culture, in their society, because they were intent on following God first and putting Him first in their lives. So how do I know if, how do you know if it's God, you know? Well, the, 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 the truthful answer is I don't know it's God in that very exact moment always. I don't. But I sit tight and wait and watch the fruit begin to emerge, watch the life change, watch the transformation. And when you see that, you say, okay, God's at work right there. The one thing that you can see is you can know if Jesus is glorified and Jesus is exalted, and put in his first place where he belongs. Just one more passage, and then I am done, I promise. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. You know, the Corinthian church was kind of known uh, for uh, being a church that had some, some wild things happening, right? And uh what I find interesting is the Apostle Paul, in writing to them, didn't condemn them for the wild things happening. Didn't tell them, you guys are just all washed up. He didn't. No, he, he just directed it, you know? And so he opens up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, so this is our litmus test, if you will. It's, is, Jesus, is Jesus front and center? Is he what it's all about? And if he's not, well, then we need to change that. If he is, then don't mock it. Don't ridicule it. Don't judge. I mean, Jesus is being glorified. Who am I to stop that? Even if it's uncomfortable for me. And you go, well, then then you go over it. Now, 1 Corinthians, then he goes through chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 about spiritual gifts and some of these manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the church. And then he comes to chapter 15 and, and he says this, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what's first importance? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to lots of other people. The point is this, Paul's like, look at who's this about Jesus that's who this is about let's not forget that he gives that in the context of some pretty wild manifestations going on in the Corinthian church but he's not dissing the manifestations he's pointing them to look at just remember who this is really all about people it's Jesus right so that's our litmus test my friend as we, as we pursue God, everything he's got for us, no, not everybody's going to be thrilled about it. That's okay. B, we're going to look at the fruit. We're going to wait and see lives being changed. And is Jesus being exalted? Is he being honored and lifted high? And that's what we're all about. We're going to go after that. Right? Amen, 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 amen. As we uh, bring this time to a close this morning, let's let's uh, let's do just that. Let's rededicate ourselves, as it were, to God. We are His; He is God. We are not. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. He's given us the privilege of calling Him Father, and what a privilege it is. Would you stand and? And let's, uh, our our altar's open. If you'd like to come and receive prayer, please join me here in prayer. And um, let's rededicate, rededicate ourselves to God and his purposes.